Man. If you have your Bible tonight, if you would open it or turn it on to Matthew, the seventh chapter. We are going verse by verse through the book of Matthew on Sunday nights, going verse by verse through the book of 1 Samuel on Sunday mornings. We're going verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah or uh, Jeremiah on Wednesday nights. We're going uh, verse by verse through Judges on um, the nightly devotion. So uh, if you are not learning your Bible, that is on you. And uh, we are trying our very best to, to study and learn the Word of God. And um, I tell you that chapter 7 um, is a chapter that most Christians really get excited when the pastor gets ready to preach. Because Christians are like, it's about time somebody clarified what that first six verses mean. And the people that don't uh, necessarily agree with that think, well, see, that's exactly what it means. And what I want you to know tonight is I think both ends of the spectrum are wrong. I think there is a biblical happy medium that both sides do not want to acknowledge. I want to say today that I believe the church has been extremely too judgmental on things that God's Word has not told us to judge. And because we have been so judgmental on the volume of the music, the color of the carpet, the preference to song types, to all of these things that most of us are just all judged out. And when it comes time for serious biblical issues, like the doctrine of the church, handling and dealing with divisive situations, we throw our hands up and say, I don't want that. I'm not going to touch that. And so really the church ought to be extending grace in most areas, but then judging the areas that really matter. But what ends up having is we become very judgmental, very uh, pharisaical in our attitude, very legalistic, and we fight over things that do not matter, that, that don't really change the direction and purpose of the church and then the things that are worth dying on, we just let go. If you were in the first service this morning, and I know many of you are, uh, today was a good morning. Well, there's one person in the second service that agreed. I didn't say the sermon was good. I said the morning was good, all right? And uh, we had three baptisms this morning, amen? And uh, if you were in the second service... There were very few seats left. And uh, I don't know, we just come out of revival last week and I felt that Brother Tim did a fantastic job. The Lord was at work. There were people saved. And, and I think there were a lot of victories won. If, if God didn't speak to you, He definitely dealt with me and my issues. And then we come in today and we get to watch people be baptized. We, we look around and, and the chairs are all full and it's just this... Attitude of excitement, I believe. And if you don't think it's exciting, get over it or, I don't know, just don't tell anybody. Right? We're, we're practicing for this, the Easter drama play and, uh, and uh, we're really expecting God to do great things there. And, and we're expecting for lost people to be here. And, and we're praying for people to be saved. And, and we're praying for lives to be changed. And, and, and it's just like God is really beginning to work. And he's really, and he's always working. But I don't know if you know this or not. But the last year just seems like it sucked the life out of what? Everything. 
But it just seems like God is really starting to go from that season of preserve and maintain to look what God is going to do. And I hope that you come to church anticipating what God is going to do. Okay, I guess no one does except for me. That's all right. I literally get up every morning and think, you know what? The sermon's not that good. I guess I'll just wing it out there. You know, probably no one's going to come to the altar. You know, probably no one's going to be saved. Music's probably not going to be real good. I'm really looking forward to what's going to go on at church today. No, I wake up thinking I'm excited for what God's going to do. I wonder who, what new family he's going to send us. I wonder how he's going to work and move in marriages and lives and families and what walls he's going to tear down and, and how he's going to work. Amen? Okay, we're getting a little closer. Because tonight I want you to know something. The number one thing that kills a church is a judgmental, critical spirit. I think that it is no accident on a day today where we saw baptisms, we had a wonderful service in the first service, we had a wonderful service in the second service, where God is beginning to work, that on that very night, we look at what not to do to put your thumb on what God is doing. Someone once told me that Baptists are not good at anything. And I said, I completely disagree with that. I believe Baptists are tremendously good at throwing cold water on what God is doing. You can drive 30 miles every direction and watch Baptist church after Baptist church. I'm not talking about anybody else tonight. And see where God was at work. Lives were being changed. Souls were being saved. God was doing great and mighty works. Then. Friend, I believe that God's still in the saving business. I believe that God still brings life into his church. I believe there is one group of people that is responsible for quenching the Spirit of God. And it's not the lost. It's not the lost fault. It's not the politician's fault. It's not the atheist, the infidel's fault. The Bible says, for who not to quench the Spirit of God? Us. The child of God. And so tonight I want to talk to you about what this passage means, but I want to show you the difference tonight between discernment and being judgmental and critical. Discernment is commanded by the Scripture over and over and over and over again to have biblical wisdom and discernment. But being judgmental and critical is always condemned. Now, I know you don't struggle with this, but I'm going to tell you something that I struggle with. I struggle... I know this is going to be a shock to you with being critical and judgmental. And tonight, if if the way you were looking at me was any indication, no one else struggles with that. You all are complete, biblical, and spirit-filled people and never slip into the flesh and judge. But tonight, I want to show you the dangers when God's people do not judge biblically And when we begin to judge according to the flesh. If you would stand with me tonight out of a reverence to the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 1. The Bible says. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge you will be judged. 
And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will clearly see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Pray with me. Father, tonight I come thankful for your word. Lord, thankful that you always know the sermon, the message, the word that this people needs. And Father, tonight I pray that you would continue to work in this place. Lord, I, I pray that what we saw this morning is just a small glimpse of what you're going to do. Lord, I pray for salvations by the dozens, by the hundreds. Lord, I, I pray that you would continue to work and move and heal. And Lord, do what only you can do. But Father, I pray tonight that your people would hear this warning. Lord, in love. Lord, that we might not quench what you are trying to do. Father, if that is me, remove me. That I may never be a quencher of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I thank you tonight. And I pray for wisdom. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Earlier when I said that I struggle with being judgmental and critical, probably all of you have thought of someone that you went to church with at some time that was like that. Or maybe you thought of someone that you work with that is always like that. Well, we got a dollar raise this year. Yeah, but it could have been a dollar and 15 cents. Well, you know, I'm glad that we got that extra day of vacation this year. Well, you know, the boss got three weeks of vacation. Well, I tell you what, I'm sure glad we had three people saved today. Well, you know what happened, though? There was like 17 new families that I hadn't seen here this morning, and I couldn't find my seat or even a sit on the floor. I had to sit in the balcony. What kind of person invites her family to be baptized? I don't know if you know this, Sister Smock. But anyway, I don't know if you noticed this this morning, but there was a group of kids that come walking down this aisle. And I was looking from over there, and I kept thinking, or from, from back, I kept thinking, there's kid after kid after kid after kid. And I know I'm not responsible for that much of it, but there's kid after kid after kid. There were like 35 or kids or whatever just sprawled out over the floor here. And you know why they were here? They wanted to celebrate what God was doing in the life of their friends. And friends, I wish that we could get as excited for those who are being saved and lives are being changed as those children. Because friends, when that joy begins to be the driving force of what God wants to do, I believe great things can happen. Not one of those kids came in and complained and said, you know what, I had to share a seat with somebody else. Not one of them kids came in and complained that they had to sit on the front row. Not one of them kids complained about anything. Why? They were just glad to be here. They were just excited to, to be in here with you, maybe. I don't know why. I'd rather be back there with them. They have a whole lot more fun than we do. But they were excited. They were, they were rejoicing. And, and I'm telling you, it brought joy to me. Joy! You know why? 
Most churches would give anything to have those kids in their church. You know, the sad part is most church had them at one time. And I want you to hear this tonight, and I want you to hear it in love and grace and as much mercy as I can give, and you know that's not very much. If you think there is not a day when that building over there won't be empty, you are mistaken. That children's wing could be empty if God removes his hand. That building right over there tonight where their music's way too loud and I don't like any of it, all right? Ain't in the hymn book, I don't like it, but it's okay. I'm telling you what, if you don't think that building could be empty one day, if God takes his hand off of it, you are mistaken. You see, friends, what we are witnessing that God is doing is something that only he gets the credit for. It is something that only he can do. You say, Jake, we're just the most friendly people ever. Not really. We're friendlier than most. You say, Jake, the, the, the music's just so fantastic. Jamie does a great job, but there'll always be someone cooler. There'll always be someone wearing skinny jeans and have spiked hair and really be cool. There's always going to be someone that preaches a better sermon that's a better orator. But I'm telling you what makes all the difference is if the Spirit of God is at work. And our churches and our people have forgot that if the Spirit of the Lord is not involved, if the Spirit of the Lord is not stirring, if the Spirit of the Lord is not drawing, if the Spirit of the Lord is not at work, nothing of substance gets done. You can have every degree. You can have PhD, VCR, MP3, whatever you want after your name. You can have, you can have smoke and lights. You can have everything you could want. You can have a, a gym over there with slides and games. And I'm not opposed to any of those things. But friends, nothing that the flesh does lasts. But if the Spirit of God is at work, there is nothing that Satan can do to stop him. Now, if you don't take notes, I want you to write that down. If the Spirit of God is at work, there is nothing that Satan can do to stop him. But I want you to hear this next thing. If the Spirit of God is at work, there is something that the saints of God can do to stop him. That's all right. I hope you're under conviction. That's why you're not amen. I do. I believe that. I believe the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail over the kingdom and work of God. I don't see anywhere in my Bible where it ever says that Satan wins, that Satan sucker punches God, that Satan has any foothold at all to do what he wants unless God allows him to. Over and over and over, Paul rebukes Satan, tells him to get behind him. Jesus, you see it over and over again. But yet, the writers of the New Testament don't say, watch out for Satan quenching the Spirit of God. He says, you and I. Why? Because I believe this. I believe your children can hurt you more than anyone on the planet. And the reason is because you... Love them. If I was God, I wouldn't let anything quench the Spirit. I would just keep working and moving, and if you didn't like it, strike you dead and move on to the next one. Little Ananias and Sapphira, right? Get on board, get out of the way, or I'll move you. But for whatever reason, that's not how God works, and I'm thankful. 
Because I don't know if you know this or not, this building would be empty. If God smited, smitted, I don't know what the word is right there, each one of us when we did that. But friends, you can be in a church and a church have no life. You can have the lights on and have no light of the world. You can have the wind of that air conditioner or heater or whatever is on tonight blowing and the Spirit of God not be. And friends, I'd rather meet under that pavilion out there sweating as a fat person that I am in the middle of summer and have the Spirit of God at work than to meet in this beautiful building and do it on our own. You say, Jake, that's a really long introduction. You're right. Because I want to show you tonight how God's work should start in me. Tonight, if you're taking notes, God's work should start in me. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You see, in this passage of Scripture, that word for judge can mean condemn, discern, criticize, to be a critic. And it's actually in the present tense. So what it is saying is not don't judge in the future. What it actually says in the original language is stop judging. That means it's already going on. It was already going on then. And guess when else it's going on? Now. And what he says is, I'm not warning you because it might happen someday. I'm warning you because it is happening. Friends, you will always resort to being judgmental when you are not in the Spirit of God. If you slip into the flesh, discernment becomes judgmental. It becomes critical. It becomes divisive. It becomes something that Satan uses to destroy. Listen to what Matthew chapter 6 says in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why do you think that is? And when I choose not to forgive, I am choosing to judge. Now, I don't watch Judge Judy. Okay, but I have seen enough clips of Judge Judy to know I don't want to be Judge Judy. All right, that can be a hateful, spiteful woman. All right, and uh, and if you watch that show, well, more power to you. Just don't act like her. Okay, but it's amazing from time to time when I'll be uh, at the hospital or at the restaurant or somewhere it'll be on, right? And she'll get this look on her face when someone says something really dumb, right? Like. What do you mean you couldn't pay your $13 parking ticket? You spent $3,800 on shoes. And she looked look at him like, and friends, that's how we are. When we choose not to forgive, when we choose not to be led by the Spirit of God, when we choose to say that God can forgive me, but I will not forgive others, what we have said is, I will sit in judgment and criticism of you because what God can do in me, He surely couldn't do. Someone like you. You see, friends, I believe that God can save anyone. I believe there is not a time in my life when I can look at someone and say, you are too bad, you are too broken, you are too messed up, you're too much of a mess. God cannot save you. 
And I shouldn't love you. That's why God tells us here that we are to forgive. Because there will never come a time in your life when God says, I won't forgive you. The Bible says if you confess your sins and ask for forgiveness, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive. And so if He is going to be willing to forgive us in a spirit of love and compassion and grace and mercy, He says you and I must be willing to do the same. You see, Romans 2, though, makes it very clear that we are to judge in certain situations. It is the heart behind why you do what you do. Listen to what Romans 2, verse 1 says. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. He's not saying that judging is wrong. He says you are judging someone for something and you are doing what? The very same thing that you are judging them for. The Bible says almost, I think, in the Beatitudes alone and in in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, there are nine examples that Jesus gives that you have to practice some kind of judgment. You have to exercise some kind of discernment. And tonight my challenge to you is not to give up your God-given right to discern right from wrong, truth from error, lies from the word. It is to allow God to deal with your heart before you do. Tonight it's a heart issue. God expects me as a father to practice discernment for my family. It's not your job to discern what's best for my family. Now I appreciate some of you that think it is from time to time. But if you don't care, just keep your minions to yourself. I don't want to hear them. Just like many of you would say the same thing. How many of you, when you first got married, loved getting advice from your parents? Right? You didn't mind getting it when you asked, but you didn't want to get it all the time. How many, when you first got your license, 16 years old, you know, I don't know what cars were out when most of you were 16, but some were probably horse and buggies. But anyway, you know, I'm just kidding. I bet you loved when your parents said, now you make sure, and when you go down the one way, to go 30 miles an hour. Now, when you get out of town, you, you go 55. And Now, don't be going across the county line. You know, over there in White County, people's kind of rough. You know, you got to be careful. No, you didn't want to hear that. You wanted to get in that thing and go. If you were like me, you just shouldn't have went, but you did. Right? But what happens is this simple thing. All of us love to tell other people what to do. None of us, and don't act like you do, none of us like to be told what to do. And so, friends, tonight, it's not an issue of right and wrong. For my family, it's my responsibility to stand before God someday and give an account for my marriage and my children and how I raise them. And so, parents, tonight, I want to challenge you. And grandparents, if you are are abdicating that responsibility, you're going to have to answer for it. But I want to caution you, grandparents, just because your kids don't do it the way that you think they should, if it's not against the Bible, you probably ought to keep your thoughts to yourself. You see, sometimes it doesn't just happen in the church. Sometimes it happens at home. Sometimes it happens in our workplaces. But yet God's work should start in me. Second thing I want to show you about this passage of Scripture starts in verses 3 through 5. Not only should God's work start in me, if it is God's work, it will start in me. 
You see, there's a difference between should and will, right? I should eat healthy. I will not eat healthy. I was teasing one of the kids in the, well, she's not a kid anymore. She's 18 years old. She was talking about doing 60 sit-ups. And I said, why? She said, I want to be healthy. I said, but why? 60 sit-ups. Why? Right? I can, I can see 10. I can see that, you know. I can see 20. I don't want to do 20, but I can understand it. But 60 sit-ups. I would like to do 60 sit-ups, but I am not going to do 60 sit-ups. But there's a difference. And tonight I want you to know something. If you are a child of God, the work of God that he is doing amongst his people should start in you. Tonight, if you will allow him to, the work of the Spirit of God will start in you. Listen to what it says in verses 3 through 5. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. There is a reason that 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 give a list of qualifications for a pastor. Now, I know most churches, most denominations have decided that that doesn't matter. If you feel like you should be up there on stage, jump up there. I believe the Bible does not teach that. I believe in those qualifications, it says that if a man, which there's a significant statement there, is a husband and cannot lead his own family, he has no business to what? Lead the church. Why is that? Is my wife in here? She is, okay. I'm just going to jump in, all right? I married way above my stature. And there has not been one time. Now, my wife and I fight. She does wrong things all the time. You, you know that. It happens. But there has not been one time in almost 10 years of being your pastor where I have gotten in the car and thought, dear, you have made my life miserable and much harder here at church. Not one time. You might not have a very good pastor, but you have a very good pastor's wife. And I'm bragging on her. You can get over to leave. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. Now, does she make mistakes? You bet she does. Do I make mistakes? You bet I do. But she's trustworthy. She's sometimes easy to get along with. <laughs> she loves our children. She takes care of our children. And when I look at the qualifications for a deacon's wife, which she's not a deacon's wife, and I see those things about being trustworthy and, and, and not strong-willed and stubborn and head, all those things, I think she fits it. And friends, I'm telling you, there are men that stand in pulpits that have no business to be there because their wives disqualify them. And there are women that would be wonderful pastor's wives whose husbands have no business being there. You say, Jake, why are you saying that? That sounds awful judgmental. Let me finish. Because if I cannot be the husband at home to her that God has called me according to his word, I am a hypocrite for standing here and telling you to do something different. If I am not willing 
to spank my children like the Bible says it is, to pray with my children, to talk to them about the Christian faith, to lead by example. It is a hypocritical thing to do for me to stand up here and say, you ought to raise your children this way. Now, I'm not picking on Sunday school teachers, but I could just go down the list. Deacons, Sunday school teachers, Awana leaders, it starts with you and I. We ought to quit criticizing others and allow the Spirit of God to start to work in me, my wife, my home. You see, the answer to fixing a critical and hypocritical spirit is to let God work in you. You see, when God tells me to forgive and I finally forgive someone, I can preach on forgiving one another. You know how hard it has been for me to preach for the last six months on loving others when I sat right there and had people fatigue and thought, I just don't know if I love any of them anymore. Some of them are all right. They're tolerable, right? But God had to say, Jake, if you're going to love people, you've got to really love people. And so what it says here is when the Spirit of God begins to get a hold of you and change you and your heart and your life and your actions, then you will be able to declare to others in a way that helps them. You see, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Galatians 5 verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but you have probably seen in McLeansboro license plates that say 502. Those are license plates for Tefatiller Motors, right? If you work there, you drive a car, you have those plates on there. It wouldn't make much sense for you to be an employee there trying to sell cars to people and have a weak sticker on the vehicle you drive. Wouldn't make much sense. Well, why would I buy for you if you didn't even buy from you? And friends, what the church needs is to boldly proclaim to a lost and dying world that sin is sin. Friends, we ought to continue to teach that sex before marriage is a sin. We ought to continue to teach that homosexuality is a sin. We ought to continue to teach that lying is a sin, that drunkenness is a sin. You just take Galatians 5 and just run through that list. It is sin, it is sin, it is sin. But never forget that if we would start repenting of our sin first, we would have more ground to stand on when we preach to the world. You see, I believe the problem from judge not in this liberal culture that hates God is for us to first start to truly live the lives that God has called us to live. It is impossible for us to look out into the political landscape of today and wish that both political parties could get along if we can't even get along in the house of God. That's all right. Two of you agree. That's still right. How is it possible for us to look at people in the public arena and wish they would talk more godly and talk more honestly and have some more decency? If you've ever been in a church business meeting, I've never been to one here yet where deacons start cussing at each other. It's probably not the good example that we set. 
for the world. You see, tonight I don't want to challenge you on how bad the world is because it's bad. I don't want to talk to you about how so many people refuse to submit to the Word of God because it's true. But tonight I believe the answer for this problem is for the people of God to allow the Spirit of God to work in us. And the third and final thing tonight, because I can really tell you're enjoying this tonight, is verse 6. God's work through me should be led by the Spirit. Listen to what verse 6 says. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. There are a lot of thoughts on what this means, and I am not the expert. I, I don't have all the answers, but I believe it is this. You and I can only spend so much time trying to share and talk to people who don't believe. Friends, there can come a time when you can talk and talk and talk to someone who the Spirit of God is not working on and accomplish nothing. What he says is here is you can either, you can even put a wedge, not between them and God more, because if you're lost, you're lost. But you can put a wedge between you and them. How many of you remember when you were lost and there was somebody that tried to tell you about Jesus but wasn't living the same way that they were trying to tell you to live about Jesus? Did it do more good or more harm? You see, the pigs and dogs of Scripture are never referenced to the children of God. The Bible calls Christians what animal? Jesus is the lamb. We, it sometimes talks about us as sheep, right? The Bible doesn't reference God's people as dogs and pigs. Now it says a pig will return to its own mud and a dog will return to its own vomit. But the children of God are not referenced as pigs and dogs. And so I believe it is this idea that we must be very careful that we should always share the gospel with lost and dying people. But we ought to be very careful trying to talk about great and mighty spiritual truths with people who have no understanding of them. You say, boy, I love talking to lost people about um, what heaven's going to be like. Well, you should. But don't get on a fight over not the streets are made of gold or they just look like they're gold. I know some people will fight about everything. Sometimes lost people will say, well, I know that I don't go to church and I know I don't believe the Bible, but what do you think about Christians and politics? You and I usually say, you don't believe the Bible, you don't go to church, why don't we get you saved first and then we'll talk about Christians and politics. Or someone will say, well, Jake, I I don't go to church, I don't believe in God, but I believe abortion is wrong. You see, you can spend all your time talking about that, and you should. But friends, being pro-life won't make you go to heaven. So you have to remember that lost people will try to take your focus off the gospel and to get you talking and arguing about things that are good, but will not change their life. You know, you can talk to lost people that are wealthy about, hey, would you like to make a donation? Church could use your money. We'll use it right. They could write a huge check. They could even talk about how big of a check they write. 
They can even talk about what it's going to go to. From that great big check. Won't get them to heaven. And I believe what he's saying here is. You have to be led by the spirit of God. You have to know when to say. What to say. Who to say it to. How you should say it. Because God doesn't want you. To waste the valuable time. And effort that he's given you. You see friends. If someone is not being convicted by the spirit of God. No matter how much truth you share. It's not going to do any good. You have to know like what the Bible says. To preach the truth. Shake the dust off your feet. And move on. I know that's not easy to hear. I know it's not easy to, to understand. But first you have to let the spirit of God work in you. And then you have to let the spirit of God lead you. Friends you ought to have daily conversations that you look back and said. I think God ordained that. <laughs> I went in to get my large Coke, Diet Coke, excuse me, at Huck's. Right? They had no straws. They didn't have any Diet Coke. It came out looking like water. You ever done that? Poured it out and had to drink Coke Zero. That's almost sinful. Got up to the front register, put out my little Huck's coupon on my phone, get me a 59 cent big swig. Mm. Start the day off right. I'm winning. The girl swipes it and it won't take it. Well, I'm telling you what, no lid, no Diet Coke, no 17 cents off my big swig. I just, I don't know why I come into this establishment. It's awful in here. Friends, you don't have any idea how God has allowed you to go through that so that you could extend grace and mercy to that young lady. I have been behind Christians with their church shirts on, with the bumper sticker on the back, and watch them chew out some girl working at McDonald's or somebody working at Dairy Queen and somebody working at a fast food restaurant. And everything in me wants to strike them and say, sweetheart, God was taking his time. I got on that for him. And I know that's not right. I know it's not right. And I don't do it. You've not seen my name in the paper for assaulting anybody yet. But I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But friends, I have apologized. And people have had to apologize for me. Because what I was representing wasn't what I was living. And friends, what Hamilton County needs is not more church building. It's not more events. It is for people when they leave this building to love Jesus, to love his word, and to love other people. That's all it needs. You say, Jake, we're going to have lots of mission projects this summer. You're absolutely right. But I can promise you, putting a roof on someone's house and being a jerk while you do it doesn't help. <laughs> I can tell you building a wheelchair ramp for a person who needs a wheelchair ramp, but fighting with your three other crew leaders doesn't do any good. I can tell you having a feud pantry helps, but when you chew them out for not being able to get here on time, doesn't do any good. I hope you know that the list could go on and on and on and on and on. But I won't tonight. Tonight I want to challenge you with this. What John chapter 16 says, starting in verse 8. And when he has come, talking about the Holy Spirit, 
He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He says the Spirit of God is going to convict those who don't believe. Tonight, be looking for where the Spirit of God is working. Friends, there will be people that will try to challenge you on your beliefs just to watch you fight. I don't know if you know this or not, but I am a really good arguer. I don't always win, but I look bad doing it. And friends, some people know your beliefs, know what you think, know what you feel, and they do the old analogy, they poke the bear. Oh, they know what you thought about Obama. I'll tell you what I thought about him. And some people will be like, boy, it sure is a rough four years now, ain't it? About like the, the guy a few times ago, and I'll be like, that no good. And in that moment, I'm in the flesh. Tonight, it might be something totally different for you. You might have a, a hatred for taxes. If you love taxes, I wish you'd volunteer to pay more, okay? And sure enough, someone brings up, well, I tell you, did you drive by that person's sign? Had a great big JB, you know what, signs on it in his yard. I'm about sick of him taxing me to death. And everything in you says, you know what, that's right. That no good, overweight guy needs to quit taxing me to death. And in that moment, friends, you have slipped into the flesh. It might be true. It might even be right. But what you've done is you've crushed your witness. You've crushed it. And so tonight I want to challenge you, Christians, as God has had to challenge me today and over the weeks prior to be bold, to be firm, to stand strong, but don't self-destruct. Not every fight is worth fighting. Not every hill is worth dying on. Not every discussion is worth entering. And not every conversation is worth having. You live for Christ in every situation. Look for God to open up doors for you to share your faith. And then walk through them when he opens those doors. And when this church begins to do that, I believe God will work in a mighty way. Tonight, if you would bow your heads with me. You say, Jake, that's uh, the longest and the worst sermon I've ever heard you preach. That might be right, but I believe it was true. And tonight I want to be a person who is led by the Spirit of God. Not quenching the Spirit of God. I don't want to quench the Spirit of God in my own life. I don't want to quench the Spirit of God in my family's life. And I definitely don't want to quench the Spirit of God here. And so it means going from being critical to having wisdom. Tonight, if you're here and you're like me, and you can be judgmental, God wants you to repent. Tonight, if you're here and you're like me, and you've got your pet peeves that drive you up a wall and can make you get in the flesh in a moment, God wants you to repent. If you're like me, and you've not always practice what you've preached tonight God wants you to repent but even more than that tonight if you're here and you're saying Jake I've never I have never been saved I've never been forgiven I've never been born again 
Tonight, God wants you to know something. He'll save you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross, to be buried and to rise again, that you might be saved. You say, Jake, but I know so many Christians that are hypocrites. Don't let them keep you from Jesus. Don't let that person who calls himself a Christian keep you from a Savior who loves you. Don't let a pastor keep you from Jesus. Don't let what your deacon uncle did keep you from Jesus. Tonight, know that all people are sinners. All of us are. All of us hurt other people. All of us struggle. All of us fall. But then I know that there's a God who loves you. And he will forgive you no matter what. But tonight you've got to come. You've got to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. And you've got to confess with your mouth. That you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. And friends, tonight it doesn't matter if you're already a church member. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized seven times. It doesn't matter anything about what you've done. If you've not been born again, tonight you can be. So tonight as Janice begins to play and Jamie begins to sing, if you stand this evening, these altars are open. You come. We just would like to thank you for watching today's sermon and we pray that it has been a blessing and an encouragement in your walk with Jesus Christ. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life, or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.